Hello, I'm Laura Scales, a dedicated arts facilitator, career counselor, and the CEO of Living Arts Detroit. Join us as we chat with both experienced and emerging artistic professionals who have ignited their creativity and shaped their careers to thrive while living in the arts. Today's interview is with Tina Elgamal, an inspirational multi-hyphenate that I had the pleasure of meeting for the first time during our interview. Tina is an actor, director, arts administrator, fundraising consultant, theater leader, and activist. We're going to learn about how they navigate the balance between personal artistic practice and full-time work in the arts, the true challenge of conservatory education, and the essential task of learning what you don't like. One takeaway I can offer you already, invest in an abundance mindset. For more, stay tuned. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to welcome Tina to the podcast. Tina, how are you today? Hi, Laura. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad that you could join us. I want to go ahead and ask you to kind of give an introduction to our listeners so they can learn a little bit more about you. Happy to. I'm Tina Elgamal. I use she or they pronouns, and I am an artist, an actor, director, arts administrator, uh, theater leader, and a few other hyphenates I'm probably missing, but that's a quick overview. I'm based in Chicago and I like to make fun things. I love it. I feel like as many hyphens as possible at all times. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you because we have not actually met before. So it's lovely to finally get a chance to meet you and to see all of these different ways that um, that you approach the arts and that you kind of live your life within the artistic field. So something that I love to start off everything with, which is, you know, a running joke, I will say, for anyone who's on my staff or ever had me in a class, is I like to start with a good thing and a bad thing. There are rules. You can have two good things, but you can't have two bad things. And they could be about whatever is on your mind. Um, so I'll go first. My good thing is that we are having a family movie night tonight, and it's a new tradition that we're starting on Friday nights, and we are going to watch a movie that my son picks out because we're going to rotate who gets to pick the movie. And I am most interested to see what my three-year-old daughter picks, but my son is picking tonight's movie for movie night. So, you know, just like the suburban dream. Uh, My bad thing is that it's been a really busy week at work. Really good. Just busy. My good thing from this week is that I went to the movies and saw Bottoms, which I really wanted to see. And it was as funny as I expected. And I had an absolute blast. My bad thing is that when I was wrangling my cat to bring her to the vet for a dental surgery yesterday, she bit me and punctured my skin. And in less Ow. than like an hour, I developed an infection. <laughs> cat mouths. And I, I know they're awful. And still, as a pet parent, I'm, I feel sorry to her. She bit me, but I'm like, I'm so sorry that I made you scared enough to bite me. 
Correct. I mean, like, honestly, same. I have a dog named Finnegan who has, like, officially made me a dog mom, even though I've had many dogs before Mm -hmm. him. And that's how I I feel. I, like, can't come home from Trader Joe's without a snack for him. All right. So um, we're going to get started with our questions today. And I was wondering if you can tell me about how you got into the arts and what your path to where you are now has looked like. Yeah, it's a long and winding road, as I'm sure it is for many people. I would say my career in the arts started uh, as a four-year-old, giving monologues to my family from my favorite movies uh, while standing on kitchen chairs. Yes. (laughs) Uh, My mom loves to tell people that when I was a child and people asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up, I would say, I want to write scripts. Which is really funny because currently writer is one of the only hyphenates that I currently like don't claim. (laughs) Oh my God. Incredible. So I always really loved the arts and appreciated them. I used to cry when my favorite movies would end and (laughs) would make the adults who are watching me start them over from the beginning. Honestly, which hasn't really changed. (laughs) Correct. I finish a TV series and just jump right back in. Oh, fully. And also, I'm always as sad about finishing it, no matter how many times I've watched it. Correct. But I've always been pretty in love with the arts. And so the first chance I got, I got involved with theater. I think that the first play that I did was at an after-school program, and I'm pretty sure it was a production of Grease. As so many are. As so many are, and always was doing the theater activities when I went away to summer camp, then started doing it a little more seriously when I got to high school. I was taking singing lessons, and I was involved in the school plays and taking drama for like all of my electives. And when I got to college, I was like, I'm pretty sure I want to do this in some capacity, but I was a little afraid of trying to build a life in the arts for all of the obvious reasons. All of the reasons. What pushed you over the edge? Like what made you like, be like, no, this I, I got to do it, even though I'm scared. I eventually realized that I was afraid to commit to it because I was afraid of not succeeding. And I decided that Focusing on a plan B in case my plan A didn't work out was pretty much a guarantee that plan A wasn't going to work out because I was dividing my attention between plan A and plan B when I could just really go for the thing and have a much better shot of building a life that I wanted to have. So I think once I put that puzzle together, I really made a decision and was like, I'm going to go for this and deal with the consequences later. Yeah. Um, were there consequences though or were is it just like this is good life happens it's both right like there are definitely consequences i sometimes look around at other people my age who chose to do perhaps more straightforward things with more of a track to follow yeah i think to myself wow what it must be like to have healthcare and a 401k. (laughs) But 
I don't think that I ever feel regretful. I definitely think that there are things you choose and they come with the territory. Mm -hmm. And most of those things are really positive. And some of them are things to navigate. But I think that that's a part of any career. So it's just about what you're choosing. Exactly. Someone said if you're choosing to live joy every day or to live joy on weekends. Yeah. And that that was the choice in careers. And I was like, interesting. Totally. So I decided to go for it. I got my BFA in acting and studied a handful of other art forms in addition to acting. I was working on some writing things in college, as well as some directing, some teaching artistry. And when I graduated, I wound up in an apprenticeship program at Steppenwolf Theater here in Chicago. And I was the education apprentice. So working in their education department, doing arts administration and helping to manage all of their educational program offerings and the artistic piece of that as well. And I did that for nine months and really enjoyed it and wanted to continue working in this place and a job in development opened up right around the end of my apprenticeship. So I applied for that. Only worked in development once before as a student caller for the University of Kansas Endowment Center. There you go. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to go for it. And I applied for this job in development and wound up getting it. And so worked at Steppenwolf doing fundraising for about a year and a half. And a year into that time, actually less than a year into that time, the pandemic hit and we were sent packing to work from home. And during that time, like mid to late 2020, I had an opportunity to apply to be a managing director of a smaller but well-known theater company here in Chicago. And so I pursued that and did that for about three years. And at first was doing that and Steppenwolf at the same time, eventually transitioned into working full-time as a managing director. And all of that while I'm pursuing my artistic career. So I'm acting in shows. I have an agent. I'm actively auditioning and was also starting my directing career alongside that and still working as a teaching artist. So I was wearing all of these hats that all revolved around the arts. You're creating a life in the arts. I am also an alum of Steppenwolf's apprenticeship program many moons ago in production management. So many moons ago so many moons ago. But it's always so fun to be like, wow, you never quite understand how old you are until you're doing the thing that you apprenticed in. (laughs) I'm right there with you. That is for me. (laughs) I love that you did a stint in development. I love that that was like, yeah, what made you think about that? What was what was drawing you to that? That's usually an area that most people in the arts are like, oh, Devo over there. My most honest answer is healthcare. I was about to turn healthcare. a certain age. Yeah. I was about to not have healthcare anymore. And I wanted that sweet, sweet security of having healthcare. But yeah. the, and, and that is my that is my like most honest answer. However, there were other reasons. One of them being that I really 
cared about the organization. And so I was like, any way that I can be here, working here and supporting this mission and the work that's happening here, I want that. Mm-hmm. And equally important, as an artist, I recognize that eventually I will be tasked with funding my own work at some point, right? Who knows when that will yeah. be. But one day I'm going to wake up and have a brilliant idea for a film or a project of some sort. And I'm going to need to figure out supplying the resources for that. So I thought that I had a lot to learn in that regard. And I thought that that was a really great place to learn it, considering how successful that organization is and how their development team is really kind of a well-oiled machine. It really is. And I love the idea that you could recognize the artist as a whole and that like sometimes magic money comes dropping out of the sky but like for the most part someone has to find that money um and get it uh into the right hands to make the art so i love that you saw that not only as uh interest but as a potential growth opportunity for later and then how did you find the apprenticeship program at Steppenwolf? Would you recommend that to your younger self? Would you recommend that to other people? 100% with my full chest, I would. I learned so much in that program, both through experience and through intentionally focused professional development training. I really learned a lot about how to be the type of professional that I want to be how to be the type of artist and also person that I want to be to other people. And I learned a lot about building connections and about building a career that feels sustainable and that is uniquely tailored to me. And I always felt really supported by the ethos of the program, which during my year always was. This time is equally well spent and equally valid if you realize that what you did this year is something that you never want to do again. And how do we, how do we take every single thing that you learn, even the things that feel negative or feel challenging and make that like a really core piece of learning that you can develop your personhood and career track around. And I think that that's a skill that young people navigating a workforce, especially one as tricky and as, gate kept as the arts really need cool i agree like uh, full chest a hundred percent agree i uh, like to say it's how i learned how to have a job uh and it was it was good it was good to be like ah this is what this looks like and i can figure out if it was truly what if it's truly what i wanted to do so next question you've touched on this a little bit but When did you know that you were in the industry for the long haul? Was it when you were reciting monologues on chairs? (laughs) Was it further down the line? I think a really defining moment for me was when I was interviewing for my BFA undergrad program. I had already been in college for three years. So I graduated high school, went to the University of Kansas for one year. And then came back home to Chicago, which is where I'm originally from, and went to community college for two years and got my associate's degree as I sort of asked some big questions and figured out what I really wanted to be doing. At the end of which is when I decided I have to really go for this thing. And so I'm going to pursue 
only BFA programs coming out of this. And as I was in that pursuit and doing this interview for the program that I wound up attending at University of Illinois at Chicago, they told me in my interview, are you sure that you want to do the BFA program? Because even though you have these transfer credits for your gen eds, you're still going to have to do four years because all of the conservatory classes follow a specific track and go in a specific order. So you won't be able to skip around. You're going to be part of an ensemble. You'll have to start at the beginning and end at the end. Is that really what you want? And without even thinking about it, I was like, yes, that's what I want. I'll do whatever I have to do. And they asked me that question, I think three or four times in my interview, because I think they kind of couldn't believe that somebody would spend seven years in undergrad. And I kind of couldn't believe it as I was saying it. But that was when I knew I was like, oh, I'm serious about this. Yeah, I think that um, I also went to a conservatory program and that that BFA, they are they are not playing around. And especially like we will mold you. It's true. They know exactly who you are going to be when you graduate. They know exactly what the skills you will hold look like. They know exactly what your marketability will be for the industry and the industry knows what to expect out of their BFA students. And I think that people really have a hard time understanding exactly how structured those programs can be and how important it is to pick one where you like the model that's outputted that's the output at the end Absolutely. because if you don't like uh, who they're putting out and where those alums are working that's my advice that is a college college tip advice moment if you look at their alumni list and they are not working where you want to be working, that is not the school for you if you are going to go into a BFA program. So I think that that's, um, I think it's really important. And I love that you knew and you knew and you were willing to take the time and go for it. I think it's wild that we're like, ah, yes, yeah, 17-year-old. Let's go to a conservatory. And like, I wanted to go more than anything. I was like, this is it. It wasn't like if you <laughs> didn't like have a full act, like a full existential crisis during your time there. It wasn't it wasn't yeah. a proper program. <laughs> I mean, it's a little masochistic, right? Like I think and I think most yeah. of us know that going in. We actively choose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to be locked in this one building with these 14 other people who are my one class that I will do literally everything with, whether I like them or not, and have to give so much of my personal self every day. Like you can't walk in and just like listen to a lecture and take your notes if you want to and then leave and ace the test. You're walking in every day and bringing so much of yourself and holding so much that other people are bringing I think you need to have a couple marbles loose to be really like for that. <laughs> well, I, I think you're absolutely right. Cause it's definitely like a, a litmus test of can you continue to do this? And can you continue to do this knowing that it's going to get harder and harder every semester, every quarter, every year and is, is that something that you want and that you have to keep choosing your BFA and they have to keep choosing you. And I think that that's a really great 
process on the outside of it. Now, I will also say that, like, it was awesome to be able to focus classes and just take them in the area of study that I was looking for. Like, I think I took web design once. Um, But like, for the most time, it was, you know, everything was relating back to one another. And while it was insane to read 260 plays in like my first year, like, I know I could tell you all about the Greeks. I could tell you, like, you can name very random things. And I'm like, oh, yes, it's just like this moment. And, you know, the Iceman cometh to kind of go back and forth. them. So I think that, you know, if you'll know if the BFA is right for you. And if you don't feel like that BFA is right for you after that first year, transferring is a great option. So, but I think and always comes to it differently. And always available. We started out, my class started as a, I was in the design tech at the theater school, but there were four stage management majors when we started. And only two of us made it through the whole program. Four was a luxury, but they knew that 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 class size was going to go down. It needed to. There weren't enough shows for us otherwise. So anyway, I think that there there is a lot that that we could talk about with BFA programs forever and ever. But on the other side of that now, after making such a beautifully conscious choice to go into that BFA program, um, what would you say to someone who was in that same position that you were, but then was like, ooh, this BFA is not for me? There are so many other ways. There is no one way to do this that is the right way. What everybody wants out of their training and out of their career is different. And what everybody needs in order to feel supported and achieving that is different. So I think a really good question to ask yourself is, is school the answer, period? I'm a big proponent of that question generally with college and grad school. It's a really huge investment of time and other resources. And I feel strongly that You should feel really confident that that's the route you want to take before doing it, because otherwise it is resources invested that you could invest elsewhere in a way that maybe brings you more joy, more skill, and experience that you would prefer. So I think that's the first question to ask yourself. And then from there, I think if the answer is yes, school, a BA program is great. And what's really great about a BA program is you have a lot more latitude to do and try different things, which was not something that I was afforded as a BFA student. And I'm sure you can relate to this too, Laura, that (laughs) when you're doing a BFA in a specific track, that's all that you have time for. And that's all that the program usually makes time for. Maybe a directing class here, so you're well-rounded. Maybe a playwriting class there, so you understand how scripts work. But really, at the end of the day, the bulk of the experience you're getting is your one dedicated track. So do a VA program. Try a bunch of different things. Work on projects outside of school, which is something you'll have a lot more time for if you do a VA program. Also, there are conservatory-style training programs outside of the secondary school education setting. So look at training programs in your area if it's if that's something that you're excited about. There are some really great ones in Chicago. 
there's the Black Box Academy. There's yes, love Black the Protege Box. program at Shattered Globe. There's mm-hmm. a ton of cohorts and ensembles you can become a part of in a less traditional setting that are still going to give you a process. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. And I think that brings us full circle back to that apprenticeship conversation where, you know, there's no world that you have to go through where it's so linear. Um, And that choosing the best option for you is the best option for you. Uh, My students usually laughed at me when I would ask them if there was anything else they wanted to do besides theater And they're like, I want to do theater. I'm like, okay, but anything else? Like, have you tried every other thing besides this one thing? And and I'm like, go try it if there's anything else you want to do. Because I do think that that's a, you know, in general, the arts can take up a good amount of time of your life. And I think that, like, it also gives you community and it gives you all of these things as well. But, like... You know, if you're going to be a doctor, you're going to give up a whole lot of your life to school and then a whole lot of your life to your residency and then a whole lot of your life to getting situated and setting up your own practice, um, X, Y, and Z. And I think the same is true for the performing arts sometimes. So I think that when you're making these big choices that remembering that liberal arts programs still exist in the world and they're incredible remembering that community community college exists in the world and it's incredible especially if you're going for a bfa to go get those gen eds out of the way at a community college and then go to your bfa program Mm -hmm. my friend jenny had a much easier time because she didn't have to take any of the academics outside of the same classes and so you know she wasn't trying to write papers and in the middle of the night that had nothing to do with anything um she wanted to be studying so you know i think that's that's lovely i wanted to move into talking more about your professional life now how has consistently freelancing impacted your artistic practice like positively or negatively so the impacts that freelancing has had on my career or my life in general, one of the more tenuous impacts is that being in a freelance loop can really sap you of a lot of energy, even when you love, love, love what you're doing. And that creates or can create a very vicious cycle of working, but not feeling rested enough or creatively energized enough to really make the most of that experience, even if you want to, and even if it is something you would otherwise enjoy, but feeling like you have to do it anyway, because otherwise you won't get paid or otherwise you'll become irrelevant and lose momentum. That can be really intense and is still something that I think any freelancer is working through at any stage in their career, but I do think it gets easier over time. The more that you learn about yourself and the more comfortable you feel saying no to things and the more you can invest in an abundance mindset and like not worry about losing momentum or that an opportunity is never going to come your way again. If you say no to it now in lieu of rest or something else, positive impacts that freelancing has had on my life and career are getting to meet a lot of people at a really rapid pace. So constantly kind of getting to hit the refresh button on community and like welcoming new people into my community and getting welcomed into new communities is something that 
has just added so much richness to my life. And it's not something that people in other professions get as readily, I think, as artists or freelancers of any kind do. And I'm really, really grateful for that. And it is something I love about this style of working. And I think the other thing that's great about it is when you realize that something isn't for you, you just got to hold out to the end of that contract, baby. Like, that's it. That contract ends. It ends. There is a light at the end of the tunnel if it wasn't for you. And then you just get to walk away with your check and your learnings about what does and doesn't work for you. The second piece of that question is, do you have any advice for maybe someone who's trying to supplement? So maybe they've taken the leap and they're going to do the art full time, but they need just a little bit more to make the bills. Absolutely. I think there are so, so many things that you can do. And it can be hard to give a tell-all or blanket answer to this because everybody's skill sets are so vastly different. So I think that to give you a process for how to figure this out, like ask yourself what your skill sets are, right? Development is a skill set that I built unexpectedly and is now something that I am really quite good at. And so I freelance as a fundraising consultant, a senior consultant at a fundraising firm. And it is really flexible work. I am paid in a way that feels sustainable. It's also mentally stimulating and doesn't take away my creative juice. And I can put it down at the end of the day. So that really works for me. And also, in addition to being an artist, I love being an arts educator. So I'll pick up a teaching artist gig here and there if I want to make a little extra cash. And that's something that brings me joy. And yes, is work, but is like very joy-filled work for me. And can be a little more steady than just waiting for the next artistic project to roll through. So if you're an artist who loves working with people who are trying to learn, that's always a great route. And I'm always happy to talk to people about how to get into teaching artistry. I think it's a great way to sustain an artistic career. And then outside of that, finding little things here and there that make you happy. I have a friend who really loves thrifting. And so when he thrifts for himself, He also just thrifts pieces that he thinks are interesting and cool and then stocks them up and like resells them to folks or like he'll doctor them up and change them a little bit and make them fashion and then sell them. And that's something that brings him joy, brings him income and is something that he would be doing anyway. Right. Yeah. So thinking about what that thing is for you. Uh, I love that. I um, have a little side business where I knit. I'm currently sitting in front of I a was wondering, of I saw the room behind you and I was Oh like, my God, there's so much yarn happening. And my, in, you know, this lovely little crafty corner I've made out for myself. But yeah, I think that that's how I help sustain because I could pick up a project and knit while I was sitting in rehearsal and, you know, it wasn't disruptive and, you know, I was still able to get all the things I needed done and um, I just had a little stockpile and I was like, well, we'll just sell these and make more. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I love the idea of like finding something that brings you joy, but can also like bring you some money and kind of varying it up as you're kind of going through this freelance stage. You mentioned a little bit about 
um, taking care of yourself. And I was wondering if you've developed any strategies for self-care or preservation while working in the industry. Yes. And still developing them every day. This is definitely an area of improvement (laughs) for me, but in the last like six months alone, I think that my growth in this area has been huge. So some things that I have learned that are very lasting are that I don't have to say yes to everything, especially if it is not compelling. I used to say yes to everything, even if it was of no interest or excitement to me at all. And I think that especially when artists are early in their career and really wanting to get noticed and build momentum, there can be a pressure to feel like you have to say yes to everything because like, quote unquote, beggars can't be choosers. And I don't think that that's true. I mean, it was how I did things and it it did work out for me. And now I feel more comfortable saying no to things, but I've also seen people who didn't do it that way and it worked out for them. And I kind of look back and I'm like, well, I wish I did it that way. (laughs) Incredible. I have a couple more questions for you. What media are you consuming now that's really exciting or inspiring to you? Right now, I'm reading Pleasure Activism by Adrienne Marie Brown, who works in Chicago often, also an artist and arts educator and facilitator and organizer. This book is really opening up a lot of ideas for me about finding enjoyment in my life and in my work and creating joy around the things that I think are important and adding joy and pleasure to those things rather than pressure and stress. I know for me, when I care about something, I can put a lot of pressure on myself that other people are not necessarily putting on me. And suddenly that just evaporates all the joy from this thing that I actually really care about and really love. (laughs) And so it's been really inspiring to read about people's experience centering pleasure in their life and in their work. And it's been moving and like exciting and it's introducing a lot of ideas to me that I haven't necessarily thought about in this specific framing. So really excited about that book. If you haven't read it yet, everybody should read it. I'm going to read it. We'll put a link in our show notes for sure. I'm going to I'm going to put it on my my wish list. Yeah. See if my local bookstore can can grab it for me. Yes. I'm also speaking of local bookstores, I've been heavily relying upon this nifty little tool called the Rest Deck recently, which is a oh. supplementary tool to a book and a movement by uh, Trisha Hersey, who is the founder of the Nat Ministry. And I think that you yes. know who this is. Yes. She is doing really exciting work around rest as resistance, which is important for everyone in society, but I think is especially important for artists because we are vessels and we are channelers. And I think we're actually doing really big work that really shifts the tectonic plates of society and of the conversations that society is having. And that work can take a lot from you. And not just because you're giving a lot, like it can actually take a lot. 
in a way that is unrelenting and a bit selfish um, because the world needs that work. And so I think there can be sort of this like greed and artists can kind of be the resource from which these really precious materials and ideas are being plucked all the time. And I think that that can leave artists feeling really empty and unfulfilled and sad and lonely. So I have been finding a lot of healing in rest. And so every day it's like, it's almost like a tarot deck, but it has quotes on the front and each one is an idea about rest. For example, I think one of them says something along the lines of my body is not a machine. I am Mm. a divine being created for rest. And then on the back of each card, there is a rest practice to practice. A lot of it just has to do with creating space to heal from all of the ways that we give and take from each other and all of the Mm -hmm. ways that we overwork ourselves and the pressures that are put on us both from the inside and from the outside. Um, So I think that's a great media that I've been consuming recently. But it's also much deeper than that, which is why I'm yeah, I love it. it. I I'm sitting over here making a little wish list just for <laughs> me because now I have a book and the rest deck. Um, but I first heard about Nat Ministries through Arts Equity when they did their four series uh, panel on surviving predominantly white institutions. And I was at a predominantly white institution as I had been my whole career. And I, my friend Mika, um, who I went to school with, she was speaking at it and had posted on like the first one. Um, And then I remember going to it and like they were talking about all these things. And I just like ended it and started crying. Like it was such like a moving experience to kind of reframe and the idea of like resting. like just resting, just pausing for like a minute um, and that being okay and that being necessary and that being an act of resistance. So I love it. I I love that you have this rest deck. Thank you for the introduction to it. All right, I have just two more questions for you. My first question is that what would you tell your younger self about this industry now that you have the experience and um, that you have now? This industry wasn't built for you, but that doesn't mean it can't be Mm. for you. And I think what I mean by that is anyone who is working in the arts knows that there are so many odds working against artists at all times, whether that's money or a seeming lack of opportunities or comparison to other artists or imposter syndrome or not moving on the timeline that you thought you were going to move at or you know being mistreated by your heroes is a thing that happens a lot in this industry (sighs) yeah I think feeling like everybody else has the power especially if you are a femme person or a genderqueer person or a person of color feeling like you do not have agency and can't ask the questions that you want to ask or advocate for yourself Mm -hmm. in the way that you deserve to be advocated for, but also seeing that nobody else is advocating for you in that way. All of those things are things that artists face daily. 
in really troubled industry, over time, I have become less and less afraid of advocating for myself because I have become a lot less concerned about being accepted by people that I'm not trying to be like. Mm -hmm. If I'm not trying to be like you, if I'm not trying to collaborate with you, then I don't care if you are interested in who I am or the work that I do. Because there are tons of other people out there that are going to want to make the things that I want to make in a way that is supportive for me and for them and healthy for all of us and generative and joyful. So, you know, little things like not being afraid to ask my agent to advocate for me or telling people what I think when I don't like the way that something is being handled in a professional space or feeling like I have the agency to walk away from something if it goes completely off the rails. Those are things I didn't feel like I could do when I was an earlier stage artist. Mm -hmm. And now I feel empowered to do those things. And it is because of the work that I've done and because of the work that I'm seeing other people who I really respect do and all of the encouragement that comes from those people. So to young artists or early career artists, surround yourself with people that you want to be like, who are going to encourage you to do the hard and scary things you need to do to make this industry and this work work for you and not the other way around. Yes. And I love that idea and that this industry is so much bigger than some people in it want you to think. There's so much room, especially in theater. There's so much room and everyone has space. Yeah. Couldn't be limited, but like, it's okay if your dream is not to be on Broadway. That's okay. That's good. That that's good for you. But finding people to lift you up because it is, just as easy to lift you up as it is to push you down. So I love that. We're going to end with a community question. Talk to us about how you navigate being both an artist and administrator. Do you fold your artistry into your administrative work or vice versa? Yes. So I never keep those two things separate. I think for a, a while, I felt like I had to. I felt like it was somehow unprofessional or not acceptable to bring my artistry into my administrative work or like that made me somehow Mm -hmm. an opportunist or something like that. Then I looked around and saw everybody else doing it. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) why not me? My answer to that, first of all, is if being an administrator in the arts grants you intel or opportunities that you wouldn't have if you were outside of the institutions or the work that you are a part of, lunge for those opportunities. If you're privy to a theater season before anybody else is and you want to assistant direct one of those shows, ask. If you have read an amazing play by someone from your circle who has a playwright and you think it would be a great fit for the organization that you're working at, slide that play across the desk. Let somebody know. This is what we do. And there's benefits to being an administrator who is also an artist for your artistic career. Now, there's also benefits for your administrative career and for the organizations that you work for. I find that being an artist, I have a different and 
deeper understanding of the work that I am supporting when I'm doing administrative work and the capacity that I have for creative problem solving and culturally intuitive and sensitive problem solving. And by culturally, I mean the culture of the arts, specifically the culture of theater, since that's primarily where I practice art and where I am an administrator. Um, It gives me the ability to engage in culturally aware, sensitive, and nuanced problem solving. I only have that by bringing my full self, who is an artist, to that Mm -hmm. work. So I would really encourage people not to keep those two things completely separate. I think there is a healthy boundary. I also think it's important to know which of those two things is your priority, if there is one. Yeah. For some of you, it it might be equal, but for some people, you really might be an artist first and an administrator second or vice versa. I think knowing that for yourself and leading from that place and never forgetting those priorities is really important. Um, And to that end, a certain amount of compartmentalization can be good, but there is so much beneficial cross-pollination that happens when you bring your full self to both spaces. I love that. I frequently talk to my staff and they, at nauseum, they are very, very um, correct that I talk about bringing your whole self to work a lot and that I, I want every part of you. I want, you know, the messy mom who just like changed her sixth diaper and is running late to the staff meeting. I want the, you know, person who overslept because they're working on finishing that degree at night. I want the person who grew up in a rural town in upper Michigan. Like I want all of the, I want all of you at the table because we're only stronger. We bring our whole self to what we're doing and, and be human when we get to be humans together. I like that. I, I don't like the like, we'll take it back to that full circle of like, okay, great. The conservatory they taught me, you know, put all of your stuff in a box and leave that box outside the rehearsal room. And, and there's a reason they taught that. But, you know, I'm really enjoying taking stuff out of the box and, and realizing the art's messy and it's fun and it's creative and it's awkward and it's silly and it's serious and it's life or death and it's playful and all of those things can exist in in one and they do and if we admit it that's good i could talk to you for days and days and days and i hope that you come back and join us for a part two i know that our listeners would love that but we do have to wrap up for today so thank you so much Uh, for joining us. We'll put a link in the show notes and I'll be sure to tell everyone how to find you if they're interested in learning more about your work and what you're up to. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. This was wonderful. I would love to come back and do a part two. So please, please, please hit me up. I feel like I could talk to you forever and I'm enjoying all of your really thoughtful questions and I had a lot of fun. So thanks for having me. Uh, Thank you. All right. Till next time. Living in the Arts is hosted by Laura Scales, with original music and editing by Jason Duran. It's produced by Claire Howe, and our podcast coordinator is Colin Shy. Living in the Arts is made possible in part by the MGM Resort Foundation and by donors like you. For more information about anything our guest mentioned, be sure to check out the show notes. To learn more and support Living in the Arts, please visit livingartsdetroit.org. 
Thank you so much for joining us and so much for listening. 